0: So we come to a tough subject, a very subtle subject. And I'm very aware of Sagramati's vulture's eye upon me. (laughs) I shall watch his face carefully. So uh, we've been following the schema of the system of practice, at least until now. So the first day I looked at uh, reverence which is connected with uh, integration, as we saw yesterday. Then I looked at um, solidarity, which was my alternative rendering of uh, karunā, compassion, uh, which is connected with um, positive emotion, the stage of positive emotion or skillful intention. And then uh, today, of course, we have to deal with spiritual death which is represented in the sadhana uh, most particularly by the shunyata mantra um svabhava shuddha sarva dharma svabhava shuddha Om. but it's also represented by that little uh, passage about the maya way which uh, I find extremely inspiring and useful Um, and the two, I think, are very closely connected. Well, they obviously are very closely connected. Um, they're to do with seeing things in accordance with uh, the way they are. Um, they're to do with seeing things in the way that the Buddha himself indicated we should see them. The, the first, the Shunyata element, uh, in a way points to how things are by pointing out how they're not, if you see what I mean. It points out how they are by uh, uh, denying how they aren't. Did I get that right or are there too many negatives there? But you get what I mean. Uh, The the second, to my mind, uh, from what I understood Bante to be saying, and in my own direct application within my sadhana and outside it, is indicating how we actually see things. So uh, this is what we need to explore today. Clearly that the, what, we're being, what we're being given is another insight into the nature of the Buddha mind. Through these two approaches, which are closely connected, we're getting a, an intimate glimpse of the, the way in which uh, Manjugosha himself sees things, the Buddhas see things. And uh, we're being not just given a glimpse of, of how they see things, but we're being given hints as to how we could see things like that too. So there's uh, not merely a descriptive dimension to them, there's a, a heuristic, a, a teaching element to them, and a, a, a way in which we can begin to try and approach them. So, very clearly, the, the, the fundamental uh, uh, background idea is that we're not seeing things as they are. Uh, that's the basic point, isn't it? That uh, as soon as we open our eyes, as soon as we open our ears, we get it wrong. It's, uh, it's just bred into us. And um, you could say there are two ways of understanding this. Um, the first is, if you like, from an evolutionary point of view, understanding the etiology of it, how it comes about. The first is from an evolutionary point of view, An organism, a living organism organized for its own survival as Spinoza put it, striving to persist in its own being organized for that uh, striving to persist in its own being um, uh, unfolds ways of working out who's an enemy who's a friend uh, what you can eat, what you can't eat and uh, who you can mate with and who you can't. Sometimes it gets a bit confusing, but um, <laughs> um, and essentially those are the functions of, of, uh, of perception is to sort out uh, what will help the organism to, to, to thrive and what will uh, hinder its thriving. So the 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 the, the, um, the senses, the perception, perceptive the senses, organs, develop in order to serve the survival of the organism. Of course, in, that, in the elaboration of those senses, uh, the nervous system achieves a sophistication that enables thought and language, so that in order to serve the survival of the organism, we're able to put labels on things to do what in Buddhism we, we, we think of under the term samnya, essentially to break the undifferentiated flow of, uh, uh, of uh, I can't even say of what, of it, of the world, of, of uh, reality, to break it up into bite-sized munches, into uh, portable concepts uh, that enable us to learn from our experience, and to plan experience in the past. So uh, all of that takes place in service of the organism. The sense of I emerges in service of the organism from the evolutionary point of view. We become capable of identifying me, therefore of what I was in the past, what I will be in the future, planning a better future, learning from the past, which we're not very good at, um, so that the organism can better thrive and uh, um, and, and perpetuate itself. That's essentially what perception is from an evolutionary point of view. It's in service of the organism which generates the sense of I, which then becomes the the agent uh, uh, that that is protected and that uh, organises further experience that's the evolutionary point of view so the important point is that the senses are naturally organised around the protection of the self Huh? that's the significant point of course Buddhism speaks in terms of another kind of, if not evolution then uh, progress uh, in time which is the progress of rebirth so uh, you could say that once the organism develops self-consciousness, uh, consciousness sort of takes on a life of its own. You could say it, 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 that there's a continuity of consciousness that transcends the organism, or that that uh, passes from organism to organism through the process of rebirth. Not to put too fine a point upon it, um, but what that um, uh, that process of Passing from one life to, to another consists in, is the passing in, passing on of the consequences of past karma. So that uh, in, in a new uh, life arising within a, a fresh organism some of the traces of the past life will be left within you. It's a very interesting and, and uh, important point which needs better understanding. I've come to understand it myself by realising that there are uh, traces in my own consciousness that I cannot explain in terms of this life. Uh, Just to give you a very quick summary of something that was quite a big realisation for me on a long solitary retreat, I realised that there was something in me that I couldn't resolve. And I just sort of let myself think, well, what is this? And I felt, it's as if I've killed. And uh, so, as far as I know, I haven't killed anybody in this life. It was definitely a person, and maybe even more than one. So, uh, I then just sort of thought, well, maybe it's to do with a past life. As soon as I thought that, it was like a realization. I realized I've killed in war. I was born in 1947, Um, uh, within 30 years of 1947, two major conflicts had taken place in which uh, the country within which I was born had been uh, very closely involved. It's very likely if there is such a thing as rebirth, very likely if I'd been a male in a previous existence, that I would have been in the military, and if I'd been in the military, that's what they're for. justifiably or not. But what I found really interesting, whether it's true or not, and there's no way I can confirm it, is that the trace in me was not to do with this life, but it was a sort of leftover, I can't say guilt in the irrational sense, it was that the natural sense of uh, uh, remorse that comes from having taken life, the sense of sympathy of life for life, that even uh, when we suppress that in war, is nonetheless, leaves a trace in us. So uh, for me, that's what karma will be like, the influence from a past life will be like. It'll be a sort of trace at the back of your mind, that if you don't resolve it, you'll then start reacting to, and reacting on the basis of, so, there's that inheritance. There's another very important inheritance which is brought out very clearly by the uh, uh, Vasubandhu and the Yogacara tradition. They call it the two vasanas, the two influences or perfumings from the past. The first is that karmic perfuming, but the second is the perfuming of the dvaya agraha, the twofold grasping. So, you inherit the tendency. To appropriate experience, to appropriate perception, perception in the service of the ego identity. Uh, so, and that's connate, um, it's born with you. It's right there, you know, in the system of the um, Yogacara, it's there, right there in the alia, manifest in the whole uh, manas and so forth, <laughs> but it's implicit. In the consciousness, it's pre-this-life um, pre, um, um, pre this life conditioning. It's what's called sahaja. You remember in the, uh, in the sadhana itself, it, it talks about the... Um, I can never remember these things when I have to say them. Uh, the two, what's its two obscurations, uh, uh, um, innate and acquired. That's uh, sahaja and parikalpita. So, the, the Parikalpata are the, um, um, the, the, the views and the attitudes and the uh, opinions and the, the ways of looking at things that you develop during this lifetime from your childhood conditioning, from the culture that surrounds you, from the progress of your experience. There's another one, Sahaja, Conate. Uh, it's in there at the beginning. It in there before the beginning, so to speak. In other words, it's bred into you. So this habit of grasping onto uh, the uh, inner dimension of experience as I and the outer dimension of experience as dharmas, uh, as objects that exist independently of us, is bred into us. It's as deep as that. I think this is a problem that very often uh, approaches to insight do not recognize just how deeply this is imbued in us. It's like, um, you know, thinking that you've rearranged the furniture and everything's all right, but the foundations and the, the walls, therefore, are, are still the same. Um, so the, the, the problem lies very, very deep indeed and it requires uh, very long term and deep work to finally extirpate. Uh, it requires uh, very deep work at the level of, of, uh, of um, karma, purification and at the level of um, uh, purification of ideas, of nya Nyeya and klesha. It needs both kinds of work, which the practice itself uh, has as part of its implicit structure. Uh, So, by the way, we've just covered a little bit of that important structure, which really needs more drawing out. So, uh, you can see how these two uh, etiologies, this this etiology of evolution and this etiology of, of rebirth, coincide. They coincide at the point that we're saying that the very act of opening your eyes is an act of grasping. Yeah? That's what the tradition is saying. Uh, that to look is to, to seize. And it's not hard to see what that means. I, I'm All the time I'm looking uh, to see uh, what is dangerous, what is safe, what is attractive, what is repulsive, um, uh, what um, is threatening, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, you can see it in the craving to explain um, because explanation appropriates. It's an acquisition. It's an apprehension. Apprehendary in in Latin is to grasp. Uh, So apprehension is, uh, is grasping things. Uh, your understanding leaves you with a feeling of ego control. I've got it taped. I've explained it. I've got this theory or that theory. This is why the Buddha is so against theory, view of all the kinds that we're swamped with um, in the world around us and yay even on the pages of Facebook. Um, uh, Theory, view which is all an Expression of grasping, um, and don't forget um, um, what comes after Trishna, Trishna in the um, in the Dharma chain, huh? Upadana. Upadana. Uh, it, one of the, the, the things that we grasp onto is ditti, views, and then the various kinds of views, uh, Shilavratta, Paramasha, and uh, and uh, doubt. So. Uh, Our perception, that's the point, our perception is an act of grasping, so that uh, we implicitly experience in the act of perception, of opening our eyes, that there's a somebody somehow behind, outside the experience, having the experience, and there's a something, uh, the other side of experience, of which experience is an experience. Yeah? someone's love? Got it? Um, um, so that uh, it's interesting uh, uh, um, the, the great Kant who is, I think, it's because of him that we're able to be Buddhists today, um, believe it or not. Um, but uh, Kant uh, talked about what he called the transcendental unity of apprehension. Um, of ab of, of, of perception, of apperception, sorry, uh inconveniently. Apperception. Um I'll, I'll I'll unpack that a bit. In in Kantian philosophy, transcendental doesn't mean what it means in Buddhist philosophy. What it means is something given prior to experience. Do you see what I mean? So that when you have experience there's already a structure to it that's implicit in the act of, of experiencing. Don't worry, this won't go on being abstract. Some of you are looking a bit bewildered, but I've got to satisfy Sagamati. So um, um, there's there's something given in experience, and it's a unity. All experience is attributed to a unitary subject. Do you see what I mean? Otherwise, if it wasn't attributed to a unitary subject, uh, how could experience be continuous? Because there'd be a continuous flashing on of of experience, and actually no moment of experience would know any other moment of experience. So there has to be a unitary viewpoint. And all that you're experiencing has to be attributed to a unitary field, to a world, if you like. So right in the foundation of having experience is an implicit assumption of a self and a world. Yeah? And uh, implicit in our evolutionary history, implicit in our uh, uh, um, uh, rebirth history, is a grasping onto that uh, unitary subject and that unitary world as existing independently. I know this is a bit abstract, but in some ways one has to do this sort of analysis uh, because in the first place you have to Uh, get quite clear uh, how things are not Um, because at the first level ideas stand in the way of getting down to the reality. The ideas uh, structure our minds and prevent us from seeing things as they are. That's why in in the six element practice uh, you get a much more powerful experience of release if you do a more full analysis arriving at what I call conviction. The, the strong sense, yes, there isn't a self here. Then you can, you can sort of dwell in that, expand it and uh, um, exalt it even. So some degree of analysis is necessary. It doesn't have to mention Kant and all that. Uh, but there needs to be some recognition that the way we naturally see things uh, is Uh, built into us, buried in us, uh, because of our evolutionary inheritance and because of our um, uh, rebirth inheritance. It's structured into the moment of experience. And uh, uh, we need to get rid of it. Uh, That's basically what it comes down to, which is a lot of work. Because most of the work is just at being skillful, if you see what I mean, it's just at, uh, at um, not allowing ourselves to be driven by grasping and by just practicing the precepts and uh, you know to some extent getting some relief from the grosser forms of, uh, of uh, the, the, the structuring of uh, false structuring experience in, in meditation, in Dhyana a lot of the work needs to be done there much more than most of us have done uh, because we've got to get so deep down into the structure of experience Uh, and then wisdom comes when you've got enough um, uh, clarity and uh, and stillness and uh, peace in the mind to see so a lot of the work is done there but uh, to do that work much deeper, there needs to be a certain amount of reflection on how things cannot be uh, as they appear to be. We have to break down uh, our rigid um, assumption, our uh, 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 Sahaja um, Assumptions and the, the, the parikalpata assumptions that are built on those Sahaja assumptions. Do you see what I mean? The acquired Nyaya is built on the innate or connate Nyaya. It's structured on it. Um, all views are ultimately uh, varieties of um, um, uh, Uchedavada and Sash- uh, Sashatvada of um, eternalism and nihilism. Uh, which is comes out of this deep, deep assumption that we bring with us into existence. So uh, the Shunyata mantra is representing a direct assault onto th- on the uh, inbuilt assumption that we have about things. See what I mean? Uh, we've got an inbuilt assumption about the way things are, which is that there is a fixed reality inside, outside experience, having experience. That's the way it appears to us, as if there's a, you know, an experience is a sort of box like that. And this side of it, there's an I having the experience. And that side of it, there's a something that is experienced. Um... Of course, for the, for the Kantians, this is what's explored in the Kantian philosophy under the notion of the Ding, ding sich. Forgive me, any Germans present. Uh, the thing in itself. In other words, the thing behind what appears. Um, so, yes, we, we have to recognise uh, that's the, uh, the, the, the experienced side of things. What's experienced side of things? Uh, what's the Svabhava of that? Uh, what's the svabhava uh, the, the own being the nature in in modern uh, um, indian languages north indian languages svabhava means nature in the ordinary sense you know i've got a a, um, a, a very nice nature it means that sort of nature you can debate that but later um, but in in, in it does have something of that meaning in earlier usage but in in specifically buddhist usage Svabhava, in particularly Mahayana usage, Svabhava means uh, an independent reality. Hmm? An own being. Something that exists independent of the moment of experience. Here's the moment of experience. Here's what appears as something experienced. What is it? It seems to have a Svabhava. It seems to have an existence of its own it seems to exist from its own side, as I I said this morning. Uh, So the the mantra says, uh, um, uh, So all dharmas are pure by nature. Dharmas, let's say here, simply represent the objective uh, constituents of experience. It's not quite meaning that, but that'll do for present purposes. And the mantra is saying, it's empty. It's pure. Pure here means empty. There's nothing there. Hmm? There's just an appearance. There's an experience. There is an experience. It's not saying that experience doesn't exist. We'll see a little bit more about that in a minute with the Maya way. But it's empty. It's Shuddha. It's pure. It's pure. Interesting, the notion of purity in, in, in Buddhism is very closely connected with the notion of, uh, of uh, shunya, in, in Mahayana at least. Mm-hmm. Then, what about at this end, which is the experiencer end of it? Well, the experiencer too is shuddha. Uh, svabhava shuddho hung. Hung meaning I. As you know, remember in the ordination ceremony, hung bante, etc. Uh, it's the same word, ahung, but it's sandhi, it's uh, um, lenition, it's, uh, it's um, elided with the previous word. So uh, this is empty, which is another way of saying there's nothing there. It's something imputed, uh, it's something thought into experience, assumed into experience. Huh? It's not something actually found in experience. It's something that we read into experience. I'm sure this is all very familiar, but I'm just uh, doing an obligatory survey of it all, just to bring it all to our minds. Um, So when when you're uh, at this stage of the the practice, you're calling up pre-existing reflection on this. Uh, So you need to have studied it. Uh, I and I really mean studied it. Uh, I, I really come to an first of all a clear understanding of what the Buddha and the Buddhist tradition is saying. Um secondly having reflected deeply on it, um having tested it to destruction if you like, submitted it to the 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 uh um the test of doubt is it really true? Does it really uh, add up. Uh, and then, um, the way I interpret Bhavana Mahi is that you, 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 you need to pass from the reflection to this experience of conviction and, and resting in the conviction, staying with the conviction. You can't meditate w- with thinking, if you see what I mean. Thinking can only take you to a state where you begin to dwell in the actual experience that the thoughts carry you to. Um, So you need to have done some some study. Uh, And uh, I think probably, in our order, we could do with doing a lot more clear study of these fundamentals of uh, the Buddhist analysis of the nature of things. Um, It's not everybody's immediate cup of tea, and not everybody has to do it... um, you know, very, very deeply and uh, with uh, lots of sophisticated terminology and so forth. You have to have got the point uh, and to be completely convinced uh, so that at the, at the intellectual level, at least, you know that this is true. Of course, the intellectual level is not enough. And that's part of, part of the problem, I think, that we get when we think we've got, got it. We think that we've uh, realised um, and it's a jolly good thing; it takes you quite a long way, but it's not actual realization. It's it's uh, at the at the level of parikalpita um, um, um You could say that uh, um, bhavnam, uh, sorry, shrutamai pragnya and chintamai pragnya work primarily at the level of parikalpita uh, naya. Um, so uh, um, uh, wisdom through hearing and wisdom through reflection deal with the superficial which don't take superficial to mean very superficial superficial in the sense it's part of the structure of our being um, uh, uh, as acquired in this lifetime they help you to get through that they help you to deal with the, the, the ideas that you've got from the culture around you, the assumptions that you've got from your own family and your own family history, uh, the, 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 the assumptions that you've somehow cooked up for yourself, it helps you to clear those away. Then you need to work at the level of sahati or sahaja, at the, at the level of innate. And that's where uh, you, you need a deeper meditation. But unless you've dealt with the upper levels, you can't deal with the, the deeper level. What happens if you haven't dealt with the upper levels is that what real experience you do get, and I think you can get some real glimpse of the, of the, the nature of things, is appropriated by your wrong understanding. Most of the views in the Brahmajala Sutta uh, are, take place as a result of the wrong interpretation of genuine deep experience psychic and meditative experience so we need to do that that basic work at the at the, at the upper levels then we need to go much deeper so uh, yes i think we need to do a lot more work to clarify um, what um, what anatta means at first level what shunyata means um, what uh, that um, this basic structure of grasping is all about, what um, uh, Attrishna is about, what Upadana is about, uh, then we can begin to clear the basis to get right down and in deep into it. Nonetheless, even though probably we've all got a lot more work to do to clarify ourselves, um, if we didn't, if we were completely clear, we wouldn't be producing the views that we seem to produce all over the place. Um, Bante was saying quite recently he, he was astonished at just how view-laden uh, still so many orders, uh, order members are. We can't differentiate the views that are coming at us from outside uh, from the Dhamma, if you see what I mean. So we, we need to be, do much more work at that level. Um, but we can also get some glimpse of something much deeper. And we've been trying to do that during these days. Through the six-element practice, we've been trying to put into effect the meaning of the mantra, of the Shunyata mantra. Uh, we've been engaging in that close analysis of our experience, not of our theories about experience. Of course, we need the theory clear, so that we can do the analysis of our experience. But we've been doing that close uh, attention to our experience to uh, try to convince ourselves more and more deeply that there is not some kind of Swabhava, a self, or or another that we can own. That's what we've been trying to do. I think of it a bit like... um, I remember... um, when I was young, I, we had a, lived in a very big house, which was rather spooky. It was a very old house, and it creaked. And I was the youngest in the family, so I had to go to bed earliest. It's rotten, isn't it? And it was very cold in those days. We didn't have central heating. Anyway, some stories apart. So I used to go to bed early, uh, before everybody else. And uh, I, got really, I used to get really frightened even though I had a, a whole menagerie of animals in my bed. Um, um, there was Ted. Anyway, you don't need to know them um, all. Uh, but um, I used to get really frightened. And um, so sometimes I'd, I'd, I'd sort of call to my father and say, is a ghost in my room? So he, he would come up and um, he'd say, okay, where is the ghost? So would say, it's under my bed. <laughs> so, so we'd get up, we'd look under the bed, no ghost. So i said, it's in the cupboard over there. <laughs> so we'd go and look in the cupboard, no ghost. Then we'd look at another cupboard and another cupboard, and eventually we'd covered all the possible places where a ghost could be. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd say, okay, and... Uh, My father would go, of course, the ghost came back. But in a way, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, uh, Even though we sort of know there's no ghost, uh, we we need to convince ourselves there's no ghost by going looking for a ghost. That's the the technique of the method. The method of the technique, that doesn't quite add up, does it? Uh, Of the practice, does it? Uh, It's to look for us, for bhava, so that you find there isn't one. Uh, And um, then, uh, once you've seen that there isn't a swabhava, if you've got a deep sense of conviction, what you find, I speak from my own experience, is it sort of launches you into a wordless experience, at least for a little while. Depends on the strength of the analysis and the depth of the, the, the conviction. But for a little while, you just sort of coast. On that recognition. And uh, what you try to do is is prolong that as long as possible. And what I've been trying to do, um, and uh, helped particularly by some hints from uh, my friend Rodaya, would be trying to sort of soak ourselves in that experience. And, uh, um, you know, like getting into a warm bath and just relaxing in it and spreading yourself out in it. enjoying it so that um, you you can wordlessly uh, rest in the freedom from each of the uh, uh, of the elements uh, so that um, you're able to extend more and more that experience and of course part of what I've been trying to do is, is draw your attention to some of the even somatic dimensions of that experience the sense of Body, um, uh, bodily lightness and ease, and even sometimes you can feel knots undoing. Uh, you know, maybe tightness in your shoulders or something like that. You're just relaxing a bit, and um, um, you know, energy freeing up. This is, uh, um, as I said, I think uh, kaya prashruti, the calming down of the body, uh, which is a, a, accompanied by chitta prashruti, calming down of the mind. Uh, attendant upon a release of clinging. So uh, the, 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 this all points in the direction of the, of the mantra, of what the mantra is trying to get at. This uh, very powerful sense of release from the fixity, the grasping onto experience, uh, the, the, the release from uh, that sort of tense pre- apprehension Uh, uh, grasping of the inner and outer dimensions of experience sometimes almost neurotic in its intensity well sometimes very much neurotic in its intensity lest it slip out of control and damn us Um, so we're trying to relax that and attendant upon that is also a relaxation of one's experience of one's body uh, Mahamati uh, uh, mentioned what Bante said in the seminar is that which is that you experience your body as a blazing mass of energy. Oh, I love that. I remember when he said it. I immediately felt my body on like a like a fire uh, like a flame, um, which is sort of vaguely me shaped but flickering uh, dancing almost uh, and um, you know, actually a change in your inner uh, image of yourself, because we carry around an image of our own bodies, which is very solid and impervious, almost stiff and grainy, but you 're you're, you're flexing that you 're making it much more fluid and uh, even uh, as you go through the elements you know it 's moving from earth to water uh, to fire to air to space, and then uh, altogether something beyond that so uh, you're, I think it's very important to accompany the, the more, accompany the more cognitive reflection, which is extremely important. I think sometimes people prematurely bypass that. Uh, it's very important, and I think it's also very important, the active letting go. Bante is very much stressed this. Uh, it, it's not a question at this stage of merely relaxing. You have to let go in order to relax. Otherwise, you're holding on tight and trying to relax. It doesn't work. You need to let go and then relax, um, so it needs to be a sort of conscious effort to to uh, to let go, and then experiencing allowing yourself to experience and even slightly directing with a little bit of a tuck uh, of the, the, the direction of your uh, awareness so that you 're aware of how there 's a change how you 're expanding and um, becoming much more subtle and the energy is beginning to be much more free and um, uh, alive vital, less fixed in its form so there's a lot more I could say about all that but I I hope I've given you some hints as to at least how I understand the payoff of that Um, but you have to do the work you have to do the prior analysis and you have to do the immediate analysis and you have to do the letting go and then you can, you can stream, uh, you can flow with what unfolds. If it stops, go back to analysis. So you can sort of um, um, what's, have a sort of dialectic between the two. So if the, if the flowing of the experience ceases, go back to the analysis. Uh, but don't hang on to the analysis once something started to flow. And, and keep up that that uh, in kind of just a little bit of the Tarkavacara to intelligently manage that, if you see what I mean. I want to talk more about the Maya way, because I love this bit. Uh, I'm terrified of Sagramati sitting there, but um, he can tell me later what I've done wrong. Um... This is what I understand, and maybe I'm going to hell. But he can tell me in a few days' time. Um, uh, Maya is—you is, uh, uh, remember—in the text, it says, says something. What? Uh, I'll read it because I otherwise I make it up as I go along. Uh, While we thus integrate in the Maya way, that does not prevent the causally originated semblances, though it transcends the construction all things and I the skandhas and consciousness. So, uh, um, we'll come back to my way in a moment. Um, but it says, it doesn't prevent the causally originated semblances. So, in other words, it doesn't fall into nihilism. You don't block what's coming. You don't say, it's not really happening. Huh? You don't say, it, it's, it's not real. It's happening. It is happening. Uh, appearances are appearing on the other hand it doesn't fall into the, what does it say, the, the, it transcends the constructions, constructions probably the kalpa would be the or, origin uh, constructions is just the right word something put together by the, 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 the mind uh, mentally constructed would be a way of putting it the constructions uh, all things and I what's in here, what's out there the skandhas, even the heaps into which we um, analyse things, of course here we're having a go at the uh, Hinayana indirect, the Pragnoparamitarish and consciousness as of course here making sure that uh, we don't have a false idea of what Yogacara is saying, because it is not saying uh, there's one mind um, it's certainly not mine anyway um, Even uh, consciousness is empty. So it's saying it's not, don't fall into eternalism either, thinking that your concepts refer to real substantial existence independent of the moment. So, in other words, Maya here means the middle way. Um, uh, That's what it's indicating. Uh, It's indicating uh, uh, that one should be trying to experience uh, the appearance of Manjugosha in accordance with the middle way. But uh, the the word Maya, I think, is here intended not philosophically, I think it's intended uh, as a, uh, uh, a, a device to help us see how to see Uh, Maya uh, comes to mean in in, uh, later Indian tradition maybe even quite early on uh, comes to mean uh, the the magical show uh, what a magician uh, conjures up for us so we think we see something that we haven't actually seen so uh, uh, Maya in Buddhism is used in a very particular way it's used in a quite different way in Hinduism and uh, our Indian friends need to be very clear about this because it's quite a strong component of uh, Advaita Vedanta Uh, where in Advaita Vedanta the idea is that there is an illusory reality and there's a real reality behind that but in Buddhism uh, there's an illusory reality and reality is the recognition that it is an illusory reality you could put it like that Uh, those are the two truths of of Nagarjuna. There's no separate real reality that the illusory reality covers. That's the essential difference between Hinduism and Buddhism, in a nutshell. Um, So, uh, Maya is invoked in Buddhist tradition in order to uh, use the metaphor of a magical illusion. And uh, Traditionally, the magical illusion is used along with a number of other metaphors. We heard a whole long string of them last night in uh, the Vimalakirti Nirdesha. And there's a very famous set in the uh, Diamond Sutra, isn't there, which I don't have at my fingertips. It's bubbles, a fault of vision, a a, a lamp, uh, and so on. So things that, or uh, sometimes they talk about a wheel of fire, you know, you get a torch on the end of a, a rope and you whirl it round, and what you see is a wheel of fire. Um, that's what Bob Dylan was singing about. Um, so it seems to be a real wheel uh, that's on fire, uh, but it, it's, it's simply an appearance. So the uh, uh, um, illusory appearances within ordinary reality are used as a metaphor to tell us how to view everything. So um, uh, when you, when you, you know it's, uh, it's not a real wheel of fire, you watch it with a certain sort of detachment um, and uh, you, you, you watch it in a way you could say with an aesthetic eye. And I think his aesthetic eye is a step in the direction of the Maya way. When you view things aesthetically, you cease, to, to the extent that you do see them aesthetically, to grasp them. Grasping destroys art. Uh, when you think you know what it is, when you impose a narrative on it, uh, when you put a price on it, um, you uh, destroy it. Uh, the aesthetic eludes grasping. So I think the aesthetics are very, very important intermediary uh, for the Maya way. Uh, When you see a play uh, on the stage, you go right into it, you allow yourself to experience it fully, but at the same time, you, you, you you know it's sort of not true. And yet you allow yourself to go fully into it. So it's the same with a magician. You know, you, when the magician throws a rope up in the air and his assistant runs up the rope and disappears into the sky, you go oh! And when the, um, the, the little boy then runs on, off from the other side of the stage, you shout ah! You know, the sort of childlike delight in the illusion uh, which is sort of spoiled when you know what the illusion is but the delight is sort of both being taken in by it and knowing that it's an illusion. So this is the sort of metaphor that's being <laughs> struck. It's not to be taken exactly literally. Um, it's not that everything is a magician's illusion. It's a metaphor. But it's, what I think it's indicating is not so much something to do with the ontological status of what's experienced, it's something to do with the way you experience, the Maya way. That's what's important. So, do you remember as a child, maybe yesterday, lying on your back and looking up at the clouds uh, and just watching the, the shapes forming and reforming? And, uh, you know, the thought in your mind is like this. Um, uh, Methinks it is like a weasel. It is backed like a, a whale. It is backed like a whale. Anyway, Polonius and Hamlet. But, uh, you know, your, your mind sort of plays with the, the clouds temporarily taking on a form and, and your, your mind can't help but identify the form. But you know what you're doing. Um, so, uh, it, uh, and when you're doing that, you enter a really delightful state of mind, a sort of very, very relaxed, free, easy state of mind uh, where you just enjoy the the, the play of of appearances. Uh, And uh, you enjoy even your own mind sort of imposing um, uh, uh, um, interpretations upon it and kind of laugh at yourself as you do it. Same with water, isn't it? Uh, just watching water as it flows and the way in which your mind can't fix the flow of water uh, but it sort of wants to. Uh, and again, with, with a lot of uh, abstract art, um, uh, you, you, your mind wants to, uh, to name it. I saw... What's, uh, what's her name? Where is she? Over there. There's a painting up there, uh, an etching up there, I think, which had a sort of cartographic uh, sort of appearance immediately your mind want, my mind wanted to interpret it as, as a sort of coastline and, and that sort of thing. It, it couldn't be done. It couldn't be done. And, and because it was so uh, uh, skillfully done uh, to have a lot of meaningful content but without any definable identity. I hope I'm not doing an injustice. To, um, but your mind sort of is defied and it slips into that Maya way. Uh, you, you let the painting speak, or the, 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 the artwork speak. Um, so we're trying to slip into that other state of mind, uh, this state of mind where we suspend our appropriation of experience, uh, we suspend even the appropriator of experience. We've done the Shunyata bit, so we should be ready for this. But this is telling us how to activate Shunyata, in the sadhana, so that uh, when Manjugosha appears, we're, we're in that delighted, um, free, uh, open state. Uh, so that Manjushri's appearance is within that, if you see what I mean, like the cloud that's appearing and uh, presenting itself to us, and uh, we suspend. Uh, that grasping uh, uh, perception that is in the roots of a, of a perceptual mechanism, we suspend it as much as we can and we sit in this uh, delighted, free, open, uh, uh, aesthetic uh, appreciation of uh, of the appearances of the sadhana. Uh, we open ourselves up to what appears so that... Um, we, we never try to pin it down uh, we, we, we let the appearance dictate uh, the, the pace as it were we let it give it its meaning, we let it tell it its story we let it uh, uh, communicate to us uh, we simply receive this I believe is what the Maya way is about it's about a mode of being a mode of perceiving uh, which uh, is uh, the culmination of the aesthetic faculty, the culmination of the faculty that leads us into deep friendship, uh, uh, the the culmination of the faculty that uh, um, gives rise to our our ethical behaviour and so forth, this natural faculty that we have that is our experience freed from appropriation self-appropriation and we're trying to experience that at the highest possible level uh, we're trying to open up to the, the sadhana uh, in the way that we'd open up to uh, a work of art or to looking at a cloud um, par excellence at the, uh, at the highest possible level so that uh, there's a complete absence of uh, uh, of grasping of this and that, um, I and mine, and at the same time, no idea—it's not really happening. It's all just a a trick of uh, of the mind. It, it, it's all just a um, um, something cooked up, a fantasy. Uh, so it doesn't fall into that extreme—that the fact that the extreme of it, it's sort of being seen, but as seen as as uh, as as, uh, as nothing, as just a sort of um, a side effect of of the functioning of the mind, without any any reality of its own. At the same time, you don't uh, grasp it and fit it into uh, the categories of concepts. You're letting go of concepts, concepts uh, which are the way in which we grasp our experience and in Schopenhauer's wonderful phrase make it portable so that we can transport it around as it were with us into the future um, but we're dropping all that and we're just experiencing an entirely open very free way without attaching uh, false ideas of reality onto it without attaching false ideas of unreality onto it so we're sitting in Shunyata. Uh, we're sitting in what the 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 mantra is uh, of, of of Shunyatar is trying to bring us to. And we're trying to let whatever happens in that frame of mind happen in that frame of mind. Probably enough, probably said enough. But to me, these are two very important guides to the way in which we experience. And, of course, it's not just that we experience the sadhana like that. Actually, you lot are just a magical illusion. I am a magical illusion. This uh, um, vibrating of sound uh, that has just taken place for the last uh, hour or so is just an illusion in this sense it's something that happens, that unfolds, and that passes away. It has a resonance. It has a significance. Uh, but it has no fixed reality. We're going to explore more tomorrow about significance. Uh, because uh, this is important. Even in sitting with Manjugosha as... Uh, 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 perceived as Maya perceived in the Maya way rather uh, we should not then subtly fall into um, a mere aesthetic titillation if you see what I mean Uh, we should be examining what appears for its significance or we should be examining it we should be open to its significance but I'll say more about that tomorrow Uh, but I hope that uh, what i said which has come out of our practicing together uh, and my own understanding in Bante's presentation. I hope that gives you some a little bit more orientation in the practice. So thank you. Thank you.